The years have passed by in the blink of an eye. Moments of sadness and joy have flown by. People I love have come and have gone, but the world never stopped, and we all carried on. Life wasn't easy, and the struggles were there, filled with times that it mattered and times I just didn't care. I stood on my own, and I still found my way through some nights filled with tears and the dawn of new days. And now with old age, it's become very clear. Things I once found important were not why I was here. And how many things that I managed to buy were never what made me feel better inside. And the worries and fears that plagued me each day, in the end of it all, would just fade away. But how much I reached out to others when I needed would be the true measure of how I succeeded. And how much I shared of my soul and my heart would ultimately be what set me apart. And what's really important, in my opinion, of me and whether or not I'm the best I can be. And how much more kindness and love I can show before the Lord tells me it's my time to go. This is the Mac Oligarchy Podcast, and I'm your host, Tim McClone. That was a poem by Patricia Fleming, The True Meaning Life. The True Meaning of Life. I love that poem. Love it. And I remember I heard Dana White, Mr. UFC, great guy, great American entrepreneur. He said every morning, and I, I had another way of saying this, but I like the way he said it. He's like, every morning, you're going to get up and you're going to get punched in the face when you start your day. And that's so true, 100%. Yesterday, I lost the deal, referral deal in Texas. I'm consulting and I was working on this proposal and uh, I, I just couldn't come up with the solution and was going back and forth with another uh, project manager and we didn't see eye to eye. So that didn't work out. And I had a problem with the international account. Uh, so it was a bad day, but you know, whether I go to the gym or run Hills, at the end of the day, I took my dog for a walk and uh, just recharged. But knowing that, and I used to be so hard on myself when I was a lot younger and beat myself up, knowing that uh, you're going to get punched and you want to get bloodied every day. You want to get bloody. It's going to make you stronger. Life was easy. Everybody would walk around with smiles. Now, we got the government and all these other things making it a little harder, but it's always been hard. It's always been hard. You know, I, I always say expect the worst and hope for the best. And um, that's all you can do. But look forward to getting punched in the face. Hug it. Embrace it. That's what I do. So, I like to roll around in the dirt by day and play up in the clouds by night. So let's roll around in some dirt right now. I have always had the philosophy to become a ghost. Forget attention, just grow in private. You know, it's easy to take you know, yourself off the grid and disconnect the phone from the media. That is the easy solution. It's not about growing your bank account. You know, you can do that in private. And it's about saving this great country and being able to say what you want to say. So I can't stay on the sidelines. I have to put my feet on the field. You know, I'm a very private person. I have a mentor who told me, hey, you need to get more active out there, Tim. You have things to say. You know, social media, all this stuff, and it's just not my thing. But 
he said, if you can be creative and do it in a creative way, it'd be, it'd fill your head with happiness. And I said, hey, that's a good point. And, you know, talking about, you know, the state of the economy and, and global markets and, and trade and all these things, I, I just think it's important. But when I see, you know, this is my theme for every podcast and I'm going to repeat it in the beginning of every show. And I recommend you do the same. So once again, my theme, freedom of speech, the way we should look at the chessboard right now, the most important thing is maintaining the ability to discuss what needs to be discussed, what needs to be talked about in a place where it can be found by people who want to hear it. 100%. And that's why I'm doing this. We all need to have a voice and speak up. We're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about politics because it involves business. And we're going to talk about some health and fitness on every podcast. These are things that I'm passionate about. We're going to talk about real estate. You know, we come from an investing family and proofs in the pudding. We have proof to back that up, unlike a lot of people. And um, I think we have things to offer and help people. But we need to make sure that we can go forward and continue to talk and maybe podcast to be ripped away. You see what's going on. You see what happened with Twitter. And how that all got exposed. It's pretty scary how the, the security state is involved in our business and they're more interested in spying on American people than foreign adversaries. So, with that said, let's move on to a, a gut wrenching story that's going to be hard for me to talk about, but I think I want to get it over with. So, we're going to talk about it. I think it's important for your family. And if you listen to anything in this, whatever, 40, 50-minute podcast, this is the most important, this first story. Uh, Elon Musk warns U.S. being turned into a refuge for the world's worst criminals. Yes, they are, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, other countries, Venezuela, Honduras, they're dumping their criminals in our country, the worst of the worst. Elon Musk said crime rates are, are going down in those countries, but going up in ours. They're flooding the worst of the worst to the U.S. And uh, Denver, Denver, Colorado, is cutting some of the city's employees' hours down to zero, to zero, in order to support migrants. That's what's going on right now in this country. Unbelievable. And I saw a quote by Dr. Phil. He said, um, which is true, he said, if people say, I'm paraphrasing, we should control the border, they're labeled an anti-immigration. They're labeled haters. We need immigrants in this country, he stated, and I agree with that. Well, you know, we, we, he talks about the birth rate. We roughly got a 1.6, 1.7 birth rate. We need 2.1 to sustain our infrastructure here. So I welcome immigrants into this country, and we need to know But he says. We need to know who they are, and we need to take the best. We're a first world country, and we just don't let anyone walk through our borders. When we have 100 countries and Chinese nationals are being busted. People from Iran, uh, they, they busted uh, Taliban and terrorists, people from Somalia, people from Nigeria. They just want to come here and do crime. Okay? 80, a, a vast majority can't speak English. They're, they're impoverished. And they're going to go on the dole and contribute nothing. The big lie is, oh, everyone's going to get a job and help out. They're not taking the best of the best at all. So this moves on to the gut-wrenching story that I have to talk about today, and it's so unfortunate, and it's so sad. Um, 
this poor young woman, 22 years old, uh, Lake and Riley, Lake and Riley, dead, dead. Migrant suspect in Lake and Riley's murder accused of seriously disfiguring nursing student as affidavit reveals grim details in the case. The uh, Georgia Athens Dem mayor uh, faced a furious backlash from a, a crowd. And they said, liar, resign! For claiming, he claimed that uh, Lake and Riley's murder not related to illegal immigration. Nah, it's not related to illegal immigration. Well, sir, let me break that down for you. It's absolutely pathetic. So, the background on this story, folks, an illegal alien charged with kidnapping and murdering 22-year-old nursing student Lake and Riley got into the United States thanks to President Joe Biden's parole pipeline at the nation's most porous border in the world, the southern border. The southern border. So, the Venezuelan migrant, he's charged with murdering Lake and Riley, it allegedly beat her so brutally with an unidentified object that he disfigured her skull according to new affidavits. Jose Antonio Ibrera, 26, faces multiple murder and assault charges, is not is, is uh, not to, to have thought to have known the 22-year-old nursing student. When he allegedly he kidnapped her, he killed her as she went for a run on the University of Georgia campus Thursday. So her shocking death my friends, is galvanizing people now all over the country. She has now become her family's tragedy and her unfortunate murder. So the poster child for, this is going to be the poster child for Biden's border crisis and the invasion that all of us face. Folks, ladies and gentlemen, we are at a breaking point right now. Lake and Riley as a 22-year-old nursing student at Augusta University. Folks, she was a Christian. She was a daughter. She was a dear friend. She was a sister. And by every single local media account, uh, and all of her friends and family members are coming forward saying she was the salt of the earth. Her calling was to help people. It's why she wanted to be a nurse. 22 years old, her whole life in front of her. Like many students in the area, there is a well-known jogging path. She was jogging ever since high school. She took care of her health, but she made a fatal mistake. She made a fatal mistake. She thought she was living in a safe country. She lived under the illusion, the delusion, that she was living in a first world country and not a third world country. So in the morning, a couple of days ago, she did her usual morning run on a very often run path right off the campus. Many students go running on that path. It was the last time. Her parents, her family, her siblings, her friends, her fellow students would ever see her again. Unbeknownst to her, as she was running, probably, you know, thinking about her day, what she has to study, papers, what have you, as she is laying out her day in front of her, there was an animal 
a predator, an illegal alien. God damn it. An illegal, another one, Jose Antonio Abrera from Venezuela, came in illegally from El Paso, Texas. And then he went to New York City. And boy, did he live the high life. We have Facebook pictures of this gentleman spending cash, cash money he received from the U.S. government. He got free meals, free food, free shelter. He got his iPhone, his jeans, his sneakers, and his cash money. And apparently he was partying it up in New York hard. He committed crimes when he was in New York including endangering a five-year-old child for God's sake. Even after he committed more crimes, they still would not deport him. And so finally, after a year, the fun ran out in New York for him and his wife that he was in a fake marriage. They got married to make it look more sympathetic when they would file some bogus asylum claim, folks. So, you know, let's get this fake paper and maybe the dumb gringo will let us stay. So they didn't get along at all. So he said, bye-bye. I'm going to Athens, Georgia, because his brother and another, another, this came out in the news, another illegal alien who got, he got a fraudulent green card. He was in Georgia also. So there you go, folks. Absolutely 100% disgusting. This gentleman, he followed her, he tracked her down, and he brutally, brutally murdered her. He has a rap sheet as long as my arm, and he never was deported. He had a rap sheet in Venezuela. He had a rap sheet in New York. Unbelievable. They knew about him. I ask you, when is enough enough? When is enough enough? The Italians have a saying. As sweet as bread. As sweet as bread. You type. Type. O'Reilly's name. Lake and O'Reilly in the, in the duck, duck, go, go. Type it. And you'll see what I'm talking about. See her in her nursing uniform. See her on campus. Sweet as bread. A good soul. Wanted to give back and make a difference in this country. She wanted to help people. I can't imagine being her family right now. I can't imagine being her family. And then there's another illegal alien that uh, committed murder, crimes. Just hit the news. I don't want to talk about it because it's going to make me more upset. And can you imagine being her friends, her family, her loved ones? And this is happening all the time. I remember, remember Kate Steinley, San Francisco. Legal alien, deported five times, murdered her with her father on a dock. And that, it's just the coddling of people that aren't U.S. citizens is incredible. And I have to say, yes, I'm for legal immigration. But Tim McClone is trying to get citizenship in the UK for three years. I'm working on it. Took me over a year to get citizenship in Mexico. That's the way you do it. You take the best of the best. People that are going to contribute to society. You want me to be a citizen in uh, Singapore? Got to have 10 million to play. 
not going to take you unless you got 10 million deposit a 10 million bank account. We're the first world country supposed to be the best country in the world. You better, you better speak English when you come here. Well, we have a lot of people that don't come to this country, 80 plus don't even speak English. They're, they're going to go right on the dole and they're not going to contribute. 100%. The big lie is, oh, everyone coming across. We have 100 countries coming across. We don't know who they are. Chinese nationals, terrorists have been caught, Taliban, people from Somalia, you know, people from Iran. We don't know. We're letting anyone. We've caught some. Thank God the FBI somewhat doing their job. Um, but it's scary. It's scary. And um, my heart goes out to this family. And I'm going to say some prayers for you. But what a tragedy. Just trying to get by on campus, looking forward to being a nurse, taking a jog, and you have to look over your shoulder now, folks. And I can't implore this enough for your kids. Uh, don't let your kids go out alone. Keep an eye on them the whole time. You got to look over your shoulder. On the 101 freeway in LA, people are getting jacked in Teslas and cars with teams of people. One car hits them, the other car steals it, whatever. It's crazy. It's the Wild West in every major city, and it doesn't have to happen, but we're not prosecuting crimes. And, and uh, you carjack someone, that's life imprisonment. You go into the Apple store, as I have seen in one video, and take 20 apples, that's 10 years in jail. Don't you think if we had the, that, it would stop? 100%. It would stop. We know why they don't do that. We know why they don't do that. And this poor woman suffers because of these policies of this government right now. And Joe Biden should come out because they're his policies. He's attached to it and, 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 and uh, talk about this. But they probably won't. You already have this mayor in Athens trying to say it had nothing to do with that. If we had laws, Miss Riley would be alive today. Miss Riley would be alive today. So moving on, ladies and gentlemen, we need to laugh a little bit. So do you want to laugh? You want to get a good laugh? Because I got a good laugh out of this one. Listen to this. Actually, two stories. Former CNN stooge, Brian Stelter. Take a guess. He's running for school board seat in New Jersey. You can't make this stuff up. And guess what? He's running as a Republican. Let me repeat that if you heard that through the microphone. He is running as a Republican. What a phony. What a phony. So the former fake news kingpin now wants to help set the agenda and policies in New Jersey school system. What could possibly go wrong, ladies and gentlemen? How many New Jersey residents will actually believe Stelter is a Republican, given his storied history at CNN as a Democrat talking head? His journey from media critic to aspiring school board member underscores a broader narrative about the, you know, kind of the interlocking, in my opinion, of career paths and the intersection of media, politics, and education. You know, what's going on right now? It's unbelievable. So this is the, the key takeaway, folks, on this story. Make no mistake about it. The school boards are the new havens for political activism. And you know that's been exposed in the last year where parents are, you know, parents are busy. They're working. And their kids are coming home telling these strange things. And, and uh, they're starting to wake up and get involved. But uh, make no mistake about it. School boards are the new havens for political activism. And I need to do a better job, but I can't stress enough. I belong to city council stuff. I go to meetings on Zoom. If I can't make the in-person meeting in multiple states, it's important for you to get involved in your local communities. And if you have children, even if you don't have children, but if you have children, for sure, so you know what's going on. And I know it's hard because a lot of people work. But you need to, get an, you need to know what's going on in your communities. 
So moving on. Here's another uh, funny story that uh, really touched my heart. It's unbelievable. Uh, Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade called each other, get this, folks, 2,000 times in 2021. So Fannie Willis, Nathan Wade, before they say the romance began, they were texting each other, calling each other an average of six times a day. So this is a bombshell court filing from former President Donald Trump's legal team says cell phone data shows Fulton County, Georgia, District Attorney Fannie Willis and Nathan Wade exchanged over 2,000 phone calls in the first 11 months of 2021. An average of six calls per day before they began a, a romantic relationship, according to the pair's under oath testimony. Unbelievable. So the date range of January 1st to November 30th in 2021 contains 333 days. 2,000 phone calls over the period would average, folks, 6.006 calls per day. Those 12,000 texts would average out to about 36 texts each day in the same time frame. I mean, wow. I never sent anyone 30, 36 texts in one day. So, you know, they're not dating. They weren't dating. 2,000 phone calls, 12,000 texts, uh, 36, each, 36 texts each day, six calls each day. They're not dating. So the filing also uh, uses location data to allege Wade likely came to Willis's home over 30 times in that time frame, contradicting his testimony that he was there a maximum of 10 times. It alleges several instances where Wade's phone was present in the location through the night and only returned to his home early in the morning. Folks, I wasn't following this as closely, but then I, I, I watched some of the testimony on TV. Go online if you want to get a laugh. And don't eat, don't, don't be eating because you'll spit it up all over your computer or your phone. It's hilarious. I mean, what a bunch of goofballs. And the sad thing is this person is running a district attorney's office. How did she get that job? She got, I mean, her testimony on the stand that she carries around bags of cash. They're going to Bali. They're going to Mexico. They're spending money the last year and a half all to get this guy on the other side. It's all political. But it's just unbelievable. They're having an affair. He got the job. He's making six, seven hundred grand a year. He he's never prosecuted a federal case. He's not qualified. And she, you know, talk about nepotism. And I mean, she sounded like a total fool on the stand. And she's an attorney. Unbelievable. It's embarrassing. Even the judge was wincing. Like uh, maybe you just want to keep your mouth shut. So she should be disbarred, and so should he. They should both be disbarred. It's despicable. And like I said, you got to take the high road and you got to look at the big picture. I don't wish this on Joe Biden, Barack Obama, anyone, because this is purely political and you don't do this to the leading presidential candidate on the other side, whether you like him or not. Whether you like him or not. You don't do it to Joe Biden. You don't do it to Barack Obama. You don't do it to Donald Trump. Let the people decide who's going to be president. This nonsense that they're going after him for is a joke. It's a joke. So, I mean, come on. This is just this is pathetic. This is embarrassing. And if she's running that, that office, you people in Georgia should be worried. That is pretty scary. That someone like that is a district attorney. It's unbelievable. So moving on, something I'm more concerned about. China. China. How China affects business, how they're taking over our country. Peter Schweitzer, his new book, Blood Money. I read the synopsis, I reviewed it, listened to some stuff, listened to commentary on this. 
This guy doesn't mess around. So why the powerful turn a blind eye while China kills Americans? You know, this was jaw-dropping book, folks. He doesn't just put out books, Peter. Uh, he has his, you know, his books, his team does an enormous amount of research, and this is what I like. Kind of like what RFK did when he did his COVID book. What I mean is they back it up with facts and footnotes. That's why no one with RFK's book could get, he said, come on TV, debate me on this book. No one disputed anything in his book. And just like Peter's book, it's all backed up by facts and footnotes. And it's, and, uh, I'll tell you, everything that I've read, it's pretty powerful stuff. So, Blood Money, Why the Powerful Turned a Blind Eye While China Killed Americans, it's stunning. It's stunning in the breath to which communist China owns our government. Uh, it's stunning you know, to the effects in which it affects our society. It is stunning by the fact that we currently have a president of the United States. He's been busted lock, stock, and barrel, folks. Come on. The United States and a family that's involved with the Chinese Communist Party taking payoffs. There's bank records. There's bank accounts. There's money transfers. I mean, there's text messages with these nationals and Hunter. I mean, he's taking tens of millions of dollars from this government, which I think, I think, and Peter says in his book, it's pretty obvious why we don't stand up to communist China. I mean, take the fentanyl crisis, folks. It's killing 100,000 Americans a year. And I've heard people say, well, Tim, who cares? You know, a lot of, they're just drug addicts anyway. But folks, a lot of people that aren't drug addicts are getting this fentanyl on dollar bills and they're getting, it's in food stores. But the key takeaway with the fentanyl crisis is China is more actively involved than you think. And here it is right here. And, uh, you know, a lot of people know that the, you know, the, the precursors come from China the fentanyl does come from China. A lot of people know that. And I've reported on that. What they don't know is that China is involved in every single chain in the link that leads to the death of Americans. So the precursors come to a port at the port of Menezuelo in New Mexico. It's run by a Chinese company. So the Chinese are in Mexico. They send these uh, precursors up to a small border town in Mexico where roughly, they said, 2,000 Chinese nationals help them turn it into fentanyl. They're helping them. They take pill pressers uh, that are imported from China and that are sold to the drug cartels at a at cost by the uh, Chinese, of course, and they make these pills. They then bring them across the border into the United States, 100%. So this is a major problem. And everyone, you know, we're not only talking regular drugs, fentanyl. Human trafficking is a $35 billion a year business. The U.S. has the biggest demand for human trafficking and porn. Disgusting. It's big business, trafficking kids, because that kid can be sold not once, not twice, but 10 times. You know, cocaine doesn't work that way. So it's even bigger business. It's becoming an even bigger business. And the fentanyl is to destroy our country, to take us down. And we have a government that's allowing it. You got it. Why? Why are they doing that? Yes, because the guy at the top of the food chain is taking payoffs from China. That's part of it. But there's other people involved too. And, you know, we just have a mess at the border. And people are waking up to it. And I'm talking about it because I'm worried about it. I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about people. We do a lot of business in Mexico. I love the people of Mexico, the country of Mexico, the people that work hard in Mexico, not the people that are there for handouts. It's like I love the people that work hard in America. You know, I, I love my cosmopolitan globalist friends, and I have some globalist friends that own banks, of course. I was in London, and, and one guy owns a bank, and he's like, we need to get rid of all these middle-class people. 
I'm sorry. I, I come from a hardworking upper middle class, but we worked hard family. And, um, you know, you can talk to a cosmopolitan limousine liberal or, or hardcore Republican rich guy, and they can't tell you the streets of L.A. But, man, they can tell you the streets of Shanghai. I've been to Shanghai. I've been everywhere. I, you know, I lived everywhere. So I can play that game, too. But sorry, I have a heart for my country and my countrymen and the, and the, and the engine of this world. I, I always said the Fortune 500 company is the engine, but the middle class is driving the car. But the disdain the elites have for the globalists, I mean, for the middle class is unbelievable. You see, you know, you middle class people, you guys driving your jet skis and snowmobiles. You know, we're on our private jet in Shanghai. I know, I mean, it's just unbelievable. And that's, that's the key takeaway. They'll tell you every street in cosmopolitan cities like Singapore, but they don't know Fresno, California. They don't know what's going on in Milwaukee. They don't know. They could care less because they're globalists and they want to implode this country. But it was interesting that some workers that built Mark Zuckerberg's bunker in, um, in Hawaii said, we know where he is. If the world comes to end, we're going to go take out his bunker. What's my key takeaway of that? There's nowhere to hide. You can go to Fiji, you can go anywhere. The people that you, the contractors that you use to build your bunker, the hundreds or thousands, they know where you are. There's nowhere to hide. And that's what I'm telling you. You're destroying your own country. Where are you going to hide? You're going to hide in your compound in Beverly Hills? They'll, they'll, if it gets to zombie land, they'll cross the walls and tear your head apart. You're pushing too far. These people are pushing too far. And I just don't know what the end game is because you go to Dubai, I live there for a little bit. You go to Singapore, you go to Abu Dubai, and I'm going to say the people in Abu Dubai are great. People in Dubai that I met, great. Beautiful airports, beautiful people. You think you're going to litter there? You go try to litter in Singapore, they'll put you in jail. Go try to steal, go to an Apple store in Dubai and see what happens to you. They don't allow it. And it's beautiful. The streets are beautiful. There's no... You know, you're sitting in L.A. and all these potholes. And then Gavin Newsom comes out and says, I'm not going to fix the potholes. And now we had all this rain and it's even worse. Do that. If you've traveled the world, and like I said, 80% of Americans haven't had their passport stamped. They don't know what's going on in the world. But this fentanyl, this human trafficking, and it's a big issue. And it's in my heart. And I'm very concerned about the southern border. But don't, don't tell me I'm not for legal immigration because I'm in. I've dated more international people than 99% of Americans. I've dated black, Indian. Persian, Middle Eastern. That's all I dated exclusively. 70, 80% is what I did. Please, don't call me that I, I want to keep our borders safe and I'm for legal immigration, but not illegal. And we have this poor young woman who's killed by an illegal immigrant. It's disgusting. So moving on. Something even, see, uh, just uh, no happiness here. You know what I want to talk about that's been in the news a lot? The feminism of men. The feminism of men. And a lot of people have been talking about this, and it's very concerning. I had a conversation with a colleague about this two days ago because he was telling me about his son. You know, ladies and gentlemen, today boys would rather play video games than date women. That's how much men have been pushed down by women and the establishment. Hell, they don't even want to masturbate anymore. You know, at the same time, pushing equality, women have, you know, and I'm all for equality of women. And let me get into this. At the same time, you know, their women are pushing equality. They have stated, wow, it's really hard to find a man now today. You think the way men have been treated, it's really hard to find a man now. Hmm. They don't feel protected. 
They said a lot of these men are just not manly anymore. They've given up. They're just going to focus on their career. Bottom line, ladies and gentlemen, women right now, you want to talk about equality. Women right now are buying more single-family homes than men. They outnumber men in the workplace. And the list goes on and on and on. I've listened to all the debates with Jordan Peterson and everyone. I could debate this all day long. But please, women are making great strides. But we're shitting on our men. And I like to back my uh, talks up with evidence, not just my mouth. One of my majors was psychology. I wanted to go all the way. I double majored in pre-law, uh, psychology, international business, lived in Europe for three years, and lived whatever. And I was going to go all the way, clinical psychology. So I am fascinated. I still read psych books. And uh, 10 years ago, Anna Rosen's book, The End of Man, The End of Men, argued that feminism had largely achieved its aim 10 years ago, and that it was time to start worrying about the coming obsolescence of men. American women were getting more undergraduate and graduate degrees than American men and were a better place to flourish in the feminized job market than, uh, you know, that praise communication and flexibility. So for the first time in American history, they were outnumbering men in the workplace. The modern economy is becoming a place where women hold the cards, rows and row. Now, a guy who digs a little deeper, Mark Sherman, PhD. You got to have that PhD, you know, right? You're not a doctor. You can't prescribe medication, but you write a thesis and you're a PhD. I get it. Okay. You're a PhD. But Mark says some interesting points. I'm going to paraphrase some of this stuff and give my own opinion. Um, there's no question that today's parents are being urged to encourage their sons to be sensitive to the needs of others, emotional and helpful, and not to be aggressive. At the same time, they are encouraging their daughters. This is key, folks. They're encouraging their daughters to defend their beliefs, take leadership roles, and be self-reliant and competitive. So the problem for boys and men whose masculinity is being subject to attack is that many studies have shown that both Many studies have shown that both women and men who scored higher on the masculinity than on the femininity scale were more likely to have higher self-esteem, which often correlates with success. And I've looked at other studies, and that shows it. That is key. Let's stop putting our men down. So if you score as a man or woman higher on the masculinity scores than the femininity scale, you're more likely to have higher self-esteem. And let me say this, and he says the same thing. I'm not saying extreme measures of masculinity, which could include uh, violence, uh, are acceptable. I'm not saying that. But given the, the association of masculine traits with self-esteem um, and success, something which our society has now at least you know, tactfully recognized for our daughters, they're saying it's great for our daughters. It's good for their self-esteem. And given the many ways in which boys and young men are lagging behind girls and young women in their education component, as well as many other ways, as, as I just stated, it seems unwise, in my opinion, ladies and gentlemen, from some of these psychologists to feminize our sons while we encourage, you know, we're encouraging independence, self-confidence, and competitiveness in our daughters. Just my thoughts. And finally, in evolutionary psychology, you know, it means every, anything at all, basically, and there is much evidence that it does, 
you know, will our independent, strong, and confident daughters ultimately want men who don't share those traits? That's the question. Will our independent, strong, and confident daughters ultimately want men who don't share those traits? I'm a man. I want an independent, strong woman, and I hope she wants me. I'm not intimidated by that as a man. I love women that work, pay their own way. I date women, they pay for dinner for me, and we reciprocate. And for men, you know, men with means will travel the world to date women. They won't put up with it, you know. Men I know in the United States, I talk to men, they're, they're scared they're going to get sued. All these, you know, they're afraid of, you know, like rape and people are so quick to put charges on you. You think that's going to happen in Riga? You know, that's, you know, in the Czech Republic, Russia, I go there. I dated a girl for two years in the Dominican Republic, DR. Uh, she was a judge, a lawyer, five foot ten, better looking than Holly Berry. You know, dated people in Mexico, dated people in Colombia, Brazil. I lived in Brazil. You know, we don't get caught up in that stuff, each other. The stuff that, I, that American women, in my opinion. So, r- real global men aren't going to put up with this nonsense. And they're just going to travel to other countries. And um, our country is making men weak. Not independent, not strong, and not confident. But they sure are making our daughters are. Because they want weak men. They don't want you to have a family. They don't want you to have children. They want to break up the family. That's what this is all about. It's done by design. And it's disgusting. I love women. I love independent. I love strong women. And I love the nurturing component of women. And I know the best relationships that I've seen thrive. Women are strong and they're also nurturing. Men are strong and they're also nurturing and sensitive. You need to cover the full scale. So why can't boys be boys, right? Why can't boys be boys? Let's look at another example because I'm going to quote some psychologists. I'm going to butcher this name. Uh, Merriman, Merriman Medizine in her 91 book, Boys Will Be Boys. Breaking the link between masculinity and violence. She wrote, it cannot... uh, be assumed that uh, what children were allowed or even encouraged to do in their past was good for them or for society. When we are told not to worry that boys have always played with toy soldiers and guns and tanks and bows and arrows, we must not forget that many of those same boys, when they became men, enthusiastically went off to or supported wars that they knew little about, got into barroom brawls. And batted their wives and children. Folks, I appreciate her point of view, but let me retort. What she doesn't say is that many, probably most, of those same boys did not do any of those things as adults. I played with toy soldiers as a boy, I drew tanks and guns and set up battlefields, uh, two sides. You know, I did it all, and I'm about as nonviolent as you can get. I had some problems when I was younger and got, you know, detention and all these things, fighting a little bit and other things, falling asleep in class, but give me a break. So I disagree with her. I disagree with her 100% on that. Ladies and gentlemen, let's let boys be boys. I'm not here to say women are put on this earth just to have children. But they can bear children. Men can't. And God wants you to have children. 
and procreate. It's part of the reason women are here to have children. Doesn't mean you have to do it. And I'm also for women that want to focus on their career. And I want you to have both. And um, I think it's important. But let's not be so extreme. But we have people that are are pushing this agenda. And uh, I'm not in agreement with it. And I think it's very scary. And you, it all starts in the local community to get involved in your school board and your children's lives. And protect your children. And protect your values. Because if you've traveled the world and lived in other countries, I can't harp this enough. We are the freest, luckiest, not the safest anymore, but one of the safest still, least racist country in the world, 100%. I'll debate anyone on that point, and I'll give you 100 grand. Well, we'll set up a, a mediation. We'll have a guy hold the money, see if I win the debate. I'll debate anyone on that debate, 100%. So something that's very concerning to me that I also harp on if you watch my YouTube videos is China, what's going on. Remember. China is the greatest existential threat to America, not Russia. Russia has the economy the size of Texas. The Red Army does not want to march across Europe. They know if they go into Poland, it'd be World War III. And if you look at Ukraine, I've already talked about this. Ukraine was, you know, Russia was founded in Ukraine, if you look at the history. And half of Ukraine is Russian. And uh, now we know about 2014, the color revolution. It's come out in the media how we overthrew the government with a coup. And okay, that's great. I'm uh, hey, you know. I'm all for America. But uh, there's a lot of moving parts here that a lot of Americans don't know about. I don't see the flags anymore with Ukraine of people in L.A. and all these major cities that knew nothing, but they, they want to be trendy and fly their flag. 500,000 Ukrainians have been killed uh, of a war that didn't need to happen. And now we know that the U.S., uh, through this you know, testimony of Secretary Newland and Marco Rubio probably shouldn't have asked the question about we have bioweapons labs in Ukraine. You know, we've been fighting a proxy war with Russia for 10 years, and we've had CIA assets and set up CIA centers in, uh, in Ukraine under John Brennan and before. So let's just be honest. That's, all, that's not me just making up uh, conspiracies. It's come out in the media now. So there's a lot of moving parts, folks. But China has a bigger espionage in the United States. They have uh, greater sophistication with cyber attacks than Russia in the United States. They infiltrated our educational system more than Russia. They are the greatest existential threat to America than any other country in the world. But we have a lot of people taking payoffs from China, so they say, look at Russia. It's all about Russia. So this kind of goes to the theme of China. Uh, you know, you know how they, you know, are infiltrating our infrastructure and I just you know, you know, it's the Commerce Secretary right now just stated, I have national security concerns about EVs. We probably need to do more to block Chinese EVs during an interview aired on um, Friday's broadcast of CNBC. <laughs> Closing bell. So the Commerce Secretary, Gina R., said that we probably need to take more action to keep Chinese electric vehicles from flooding the market and stated, I have national security concerns about the electric vehicles. An electric vehicle has sensors and semiconductors. They can spy on us. They know who's driving it. And they're, and they're driving huge you know, amounts of data that the Chinese, you know, they're on the road and the Chinese government's collecting this data. And it goes back to Beijing. She just stated it. She said that might be a national security risk. She said, we're looking hard at that. Additionally, 
what you say, listen, I have always maintained Americans can compete if there's a level paying field. So we have a situation, folks. China is distorting right now the market dynamics due to subsidies and low cost of capital. So she says, I know the president's both deeply concerned about this. This got out through some whistleblowers. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Of course, they're collecting with their semiconductor. They got EVs on the road. They're collecting data and using the EVs as espionage. You know, folks, this is, you know, as a metaphor, I was told that eating bugs, gluing my hands to precious artwork and driving in a car mined from rare earth minerals that spied on me would change the weather. <laughs> you know, boy, do I feel stupid. You know, Democrats work to cripple your energy production here and make your make you dependent on unreliable and more expensive energy sources. Okay. Joe Biden, yes, he did. He shut down our energy day one in office. Okay. Uh, wind and solar, I've done a lot of talks on this. I'm all for it. But right now, it can't power modern economy. We don't have the infrastructure. They tried to do wind on 900 homes. And study on this. It failed. If you know where to look for all this, it failed. They couldn't even power 900 homes. Solar scorches the earth with the rare earth minerals to develop the panels. But they want China to develop the panels because everyone took payoffs. So the reason we have high inflation is because our energy has been shut off. And guess what, folks? We're buying our oil from Venezuela. Remember, I did talks on Russia. We were buying it from Russia. Our enemies. God, we hate Russia, but we're going to buy our oil. You know, you don't shut down your energy production unless you got a replacement in place ready to rock and roll. And we didn't. And we just shut it down because of the green extreme freaks. I'm all for green, 100%. But I'll debate you on it all day. Wind and solar can't power a modern economy. You don't shut your own energy independence off and give our adversaries, you know, control. You know, China controls much of the rare earth minerals processing for those sources. And now they're going to flood the U.S. with electric vehicles to attack your auto industry directly, folks. At the same time, they're building coal powered plants in China as fast as they can. They're not following some climate control. So, you know, exactly whose interests are the Democrats supporting? And I would call it also the, you know, Republicans as well, select Republicans. It's not just a Democrat thing. But they're in power right now, so they need to be called out. So, U.S. should be energy independent due to our abundance of oil and natural gas. Not windmills, not solar panels at this point in history, folks. We don't have the infrastructure. Wind and solar cannot power a modern economy 100%. And guess what, folks? Our coal plants are clean. They omit vapor. We have scrubbers. China has dirty coal plants. So our coal plants are fine. So when you hear people say, oh, no, our coal plants are the cleanest in the world and they omit vapor. So that's a lie. So my whole point, the key takeaway is we need to be concerned about China more than Russia. But I understand the military, they want defense contractors to make money. War makes money. You want to be a wartime president? I'm all for you guys making money, but how greedy do we have to be? You know, how greedy do we have to be to where it starts hurting people and people can't feed their families and their children? I go to meetings. I mean, I, I hang out with ultra-wealthy people, ultra-wealthy people, and then I hang out with people that are trying to just get by. And it shouldn't be happening in the first world country where 165 million Americans out of 330 can't even have a $400, enough for a $400 emergency. Is that a healthy country? No, it's not. 
So you talk about the jobs report and you know job growth. We're not a healthy country when half the country is poor. We're a third world country, and it's disgusting. And it needs to stop. And I just want to end with real estate. A judge blocks Johnson's back transfer tax referendum for voters. It's a major win for Chicago commercial real estate sector industry. This is my hometown, Chicago, Milwaukee. It's a blow to the mayor's signature campaign promise. He tried to slip it in, and I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Brandon Johnson, the mayor of Chicago. I mean, this guy, what a clown. And it's a win for the real estate industry. So a Cook County judge on Friday blocked a referendum that could have raised the city's uh, transfer tax on large property sales that was set to be decided in uh, the, the pre- next month's primary election. Um, you know, so it's going to appear on the, I think the March 19th ballot. And, um, and you know, this is the bottom line. And this happened in LA. The referendum would be a backdoor to property tax on Chicagoans. It was a property tax increase. And is, you know, and this guy, these guys uncovered it. Uh, the head of Chicago chapter of office building trade group, building owners and the managers association. So just like the LA mansion tax, which passed, they slipped it in with creative wording and snowed the voters. It passed. So this Chicago, it's a, you know, it would have increased the real estate transfer tax imposed on sales of more than 1 million to fund services for people. And, um, you know, under the umbrella of helping homelessness, they say. And I just have to say this. I'm actually involved in homelessness. Uh, we have a budget. I worked with some investors. We're trying to do some philanthropy. And in the area of transparency, it got put on the back burner. I went to Venice and tried to meet with city council. And I did talk to some people in downtown LA and Austin, Texas, other people, and Las Vegas. If you know what's going on in Las Vegas, I'm there every month. And I mean, I'm traveling globally, but I've been spending a little time in the United States more. And Vegas, uh, it's just terrible what's going on downtown and under these these um, tunnels where people are living. But anyway, folks, the long story short is they don't want to solve the problem because they've been given massive budgets like LA got, let's say, $100 million plus million and people got six-figure jobs to solve the homeless problem, but they don't want to solve it because they don't want to lose their job. And they're not doing anything about it. It's just disgusting. So this is a win for the real estate industry in Chicago. And I, and I believe in that because it would increase people's property tax. Property, the property taxes in Chicago are the second highest in the country. They're just bleeding hardworking people. And then they steal these, these, this money under, it's a social program for the homeless. It's a joke. So let me end with some health and fitness, a real quick one. I love to talk about it. I said this podcast, we'll talk about health and fitness at the end. Something that's important is I see a lot of people that will go to the gym more than eat right. It's easier for them to go to the gym, but then they won't go home and do probably the most important thing, in my opinion, is that the body's built in the kitchen and make sure you're fueling your body to recover and grow. But this is uh, something I learned a long time ago. And I, I've done every split, you know, two body parts a week. I've done high intensity, volume. I'll get into that down the road because I am passionate about some of that stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I don't just lift weights. I do martial arts. I do boxing. I hit the bag and I do run hills, but, uh, you know, I love pushing the iron. I do love pushing the iron, but I'll keep this simple for you. And I know this is a touchy subject. How, what is the frequency of training? What is the frequency of training you should do? And I think if you break it down simply, no one's going to argue with me on this point. You don't recover as good when you're 
let's say, 40 compared to when you were 25. Everyone would agree with that. You don't recover as good when you're 40 as when you were 25. But I also agree, you, you would agree that you need to recover when you're 25 too. Okay? Number two, when you work out, after you work out, you have to recover from that workout and then you have to grow. Do you honestly think you recover and grow in 24 hours? And I would argue whether you're 25 or 40, but definitely when you're 40. You don't. You don't recover in 24 hours. Not even close, in my opinion. In my opinion. And I've done all the splits. I've done one-on-one off, two-on-one off, one, two, three, four, five days a week, the weekend off, done it all. But none compare to what I do now to grow and get results. And I wish I would have did it when I was 25. But I was doing unique training uh, with a lot of different guys. I'll bring one guy up. I used to train with Mike Quinn, Mr. Teenage International in Spain. He's a pro bodybuilder. One thing he taught me was giant sets. This is this is back when I was like 18, uh, late 90s, whatever. Um, he, uh, he taught me about giant sets. So let's say we do a shoulder workout. We would do three sets of uh, we would do shoulder press, immediately go into lats, side lats, and then rear delts. One set. One, two, three. And then we do it again, do it again, that's it. It would take 20, 30 minutes, so we'd be fried. So it's a giant set. So that's smart. He was doing giant sets back then, taught me about that. You could say that's high intensity, kind of the Dorian Yates thing, but not as, I always believe, not as extreme. And I think Dorian Yates came out and said he had a lot of injuries and he'd do it differently. And especially with the sophistication of machines now, you can build a really good physique with machines. It doesn't have to be just free weights. That's whatever. So I was doing giant sets training, but a lot of the people I had were doing ample rest. Now, whether you're natural or you, you, you take performance-enhancing drugs, you still need to recover. So I believe whether you're 25, definitely when you're older, 40, and even if you're taking drugs, but especially if you're not taking drugs, you need two to three days off between each workout. And I'm not extreme like Mike Metzer, one one exercise per body part. There's, what, six muscle groups to the back, and he believes in one exercise per back. I don't believe in that. I, he, he's too extreme. That's extreme. But all I can tell you is my personal experience and working out with some interesting people, how we got results. Every workout I do, I take a minimum of 48 hours off. In those off days, I will, you know, I'll do a sauna, I will do rubber band work, I will stretch, maybe some sit-ups. I, I, I train, I do sit-ups like you do a normal body part. I train abs every two, three days, and I do it for a half hour. Uh, I don't train abs every day, else they're going to get extended, you're going to run into back problems, and there's a way to train abs light. But I believe that every workout you do, you need 48 hours to 72 to grow, grow. minimum of 48. And I've even gotten better results at 72. And I love the guys and gals that say, let me ask you this. Do you think if you do a leg workout that you can come down the next day and do a chest workout? You think your body recovers? No, you got to let your whole body rest. For the guys and gals that say, oh, well, I did a leg workout, so I'm going to do chest. My body's, my legs are going to rest and recover. No, you have to let your whole body rest. You got to let it rest and recover. So... I've done it. I've done two days in a row, and the next day I work out, I'm exhausted. I got, I'm just not good. But when I work out, and I work out, I don't listen to my phone. I work out hard for an hour, hour and a half, and then I take two, three days off. I just did this this workout for arms, and I don't, I don't have to hit arms every week. My arms have always been a good spot for me. But I just hit arms. They've been sore for two days. I haven't worked out. 
I worked out 48 hours ago. I'm taking 72 off. So it's how you feel. But I take a minimum of 48, and I know my body so well, sometimes 72. I don't go, oh, well, I got to work out this day. But if I don't feel right, and I know I could risk injury, I don't do it. Because remember, you can make up for it if you're such a freak. You're like, oh, God, I got to get to the gym. It's all about the kitchen. Make sure you eat right over training. And I'm telling you, I've done all the splits, and I've noticed when I do 48 to 72 hours, I get more muscle. And I, it's, it's, it's less chance of injuring your body as well. So that's my two cents of uh, the ending health tip. So that's podcast number three, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tim McClone. And uh, until podcast four, remember, it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll. And God bless America. Take care.